Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. My man, Linus. One of my favorite theologians, that guy. I appreciate him reading Luke chapter two for us this morning. I was reminded of a story Tony Campolo shared some years ago. He said, I took my son to Disneyland when he was just a little guy, and as we were leaving, he said, <clears throat> I want another ride on Space Mountain. And I said, well, I'm sorry because I'm out of money and I'm out of time. Some of you probably feel like that. And he said, well, Jesus wants me to go. (laughs) Don't you love it when people do the old Jesus juke? Because, you know, it's like, I think it's time for us to break up. Well, why is that? Well, you know, Jesus said that. What do you do with that? Well, it's the same with the kid. Jesus wants me to go. And I said, well, I'm not really reading what what you're saying there. He said, well, when you were in church, you said whatever we feel, Jesus feels it. So when, when we cry, he cries. You said Jesus feels every emotion that we have. And I said, yeah, that's right. He said, well, when I'm laughing on Space Mountain, he's having a good time too. And I think Jesus would enjoy it if I had another ride on Space Mountain. I, I wanna remind you of something this morning, some deep but important truths. And the first of which is this, God is joyful. God is joyful. You find this literally in the Bible. You find it from cover to cover. In Proverbs chapter eight, it represents God rejoicing during creation. In verses 30 and 32, it says, and I was constantly at his side as a master craftsman. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Some Old Testament scholars think that this is literally the wisdom of God personified in the person of Jesus on what it was like being there with the Father and the Spirit in the moment of creation and looking at what they had done and say, I take great delight in this, not just in the world, but you, that is mankind. All throughout the Old Testament, God commands his people to rejoice. It's why he ordained all of the festivals and the feasts and the holy days. You know, our word holiday is just a version of the word for holy days. It's time to stop. 
It's time to stop with the busyness and it's time to focus on some of the great things that God has done and you'll never get around to it with all of the distractions that you have in your life. I was reminded of this just this week. You know, some years ago, I was a, a camp counselor at Sky Ranch. I don't know how many of you Sky Ranch folk are out there, but I was one of them. And I remember these kids would come into camp and I had them as a counselor for a week. And I also had every single advantage as a counselor at Sky Ranch. One of the reasons is because they weren't distracted. They had put away every single distraction and they had come to a place where they could focus on things that were higher and more important. And this isn't to say that all the things that they invest in are bad things, not at all. Most of what they invest in are great things. It's just, it can take you away from what is the best. But I knew for that one week, I had them. I had them. We had time where we would be together, where I would be pouring into their life along with the other counselors, all the distractions removed. And with that, it was amazing to see the kinds of things that the Lord could do. It was awesome. Sometimes I think we need to remember what the holy days are for. It's to stop the chaos. It's to put things back into focus and it's to put the best at the top and everything else underneath it. Isaiah chapter 62, verse five. I love this because you think of a celebration. Some of you might think of something like your wedding day. And in Isaiah 62, five, it says, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Um, how many of you, by the way, have attended a wedding this last year? Can I see your hands? How many of you attended a wedding? Uh, can you remember the look on the groom's face when his bride walked up the aisle? I, I, will, I will never forget it. It's gone December 15th. Wendy and I will be celebrating 21 years of marriage. And I remember I'm standing up at the front. I've got my brothers beside me. I mean, what a lucky guy, right? Um, and those back doors go boom and they open up and she comes walking out with her dad. And I just thought, wow. The second thought I had is I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and it wasn't because I was making a bad choice. I had never been married before. I literally didn't know what I was doing. But there was that moment where it just goes, oh, it's just amazing. In Isaiah 62, five, this is the way that God looks at us. He rejoices over you. In Zephaniah three seventeen, something that you probably haven't heard read lately. The Lord, your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. How many of you have looked at God and said, this is the way that God looks at me. He rejoices over me with singing. We're reminded of that this Christmas season. One of my favorite writers is C.S. Lewis. Over the years, you've probably heard me quote him, I don't know, a couple of hundred times. But I love what he said, joy is the serious business of heaven. And it's because it is. When I take a look around, one of the things that I can say is often in the faces of people, one of the things that I don't see is joy. Uh, I see pain, I see distraction, I see a burden that is there, but often not joy. And that even includes in the lives of people that have Christ with them. I want that to be reclaimed for you this Christmas season. In John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is what Jesus wants for you. He had told his followers that they should stay close to him. And he used this illustration of a tree and its branches kind of to make the point. 
in, in John chapter 15, verses four through five. What he said was, remain in me and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. It's, in other words, it's gotta stay connected. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And the reason is, is because it's like when a branch of a tree breaks off, you just got broken off from the very source of your life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Notice what Jesus says here. He gives us the secret for living a fruitful life. What does he say? Stay close and stay attached. I have a little something up here with me today. Um, and it's a sponge. I don't know how many of you have these things in your home, uh, but it's a sponge. And the reason that I brought this is just so that you can kind of get an idea of what Jesus is talking about here. You know, with this sponge, it's actually pretty soaked up. And in fact, I'm gonna be careful, but you know, this has been sitting in water for uh, probably about two hours now, and it's actually filled completely up with water, right? However, as you can tell, as I'm squeezing this, what's happening? It's all coming out. Don't make it too hard. This is actually pretty easy. You're like, There's always a trick with this guy, right? Uh, this is actually pretty easy. But as I'm squeezing this, it's coming out. The other thing is, and I just did this in the interest of time, I gave it a squeeze. Had I just pulled the sponge out and held it up, you would actually watch the water just kind of falling out of this thing. Why is that? Is because I removed it from its source, right? When I put it back in, it soaks it back up. And this is the same kind of picture of what Jesus is trying to share with us in John chapter 15 and what it would mean to have a vital Christian life. We even have this other word, kind of a word of caution, but it's a way that we can understand it. Paul wrote this in Ephesians 5, 18. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. He said, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's another way of understanding it. Imagine that you take alcohol. And when you take the alcohol and you start to drink it, you're opening yourself up to every influence that alcohol could have on your life. Paul's giving a word of caution. Don't get drunk with it, right? Why is that? It's because it lowers the inhibitions. You're more likely to make choices that if you weren't under the influence, you wouldn't be making those choices. What you did is you made the choice to put yourself under what it can do to you. He says, so don't do that. But then he says, but do be filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't be filled with alcohol, but do be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Well, it's kind of like the sponge here. You see it? The more that the sponge is immersed in the water, the more that the water becomes a part of the sponge and the more that the sponge becomes a part of the water. And it's the same thing when you, find you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is a part of you and you are a part of the life of the Holy Spirit who indwells you. It's just like that. In other words, you've put yourself under the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life and it will change you. You'll be filled with it. The first thing that you see in scripture is that God is joyful. And the second thing that you see is that God wants to fill you with his joy. It's what God wants for you. Jesus, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's not that he just wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to be joyful. Joyful. In Galatians 5, 22, 
It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I can tell you this, the world can use more of that. The world can use more of that. See, when the Spirit of God fills you, he produces these things in your life. What he produces is fruit. It's what flows out. When you're filled with God, you're filled with joy. It's what naturally flows from you when God has filled you up. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, they were going out, they were speaking. These were some of the first people that were actually sharing the gospel of Jesus. And they were having a pretty tremendous impact in their communities. People were becoming Christians. Uh, crowds were gathering around. As you can imagine, the Jewish leaders were not thrilled with this. So they persecuted both Paul and uh, Barnabas. And they ended up even throwing them out of the region that they were ministering in. But this is what it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 52. It says, and they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The reason that I give you that example is they weren't filled with joy because of their circumstances. In fact, in following God, they were being pretty heavily persecuted. It says, no, in spite of that, they were still filled with joy and they were still filled with the Holy Spirit. Which is why Paul says this in Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, what? Rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't say that you always have to rejoice in your circumstances. Paul's not oblivious. By the way, he didn't enjoy being persecuted. He said, rejoice in who? He said, rejoice in the Lord. Even the fact that you have this day, it was not promised to you. It was a gift. And it's proof yet once again that his mercies are new. You know, when I wake up in the morning, kind of the first thing that hits me was, he didn't know me this one. <laughs> he didn't know me this one. So let's do some good by it. Why? Psalm 118, 24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us what? Rejoice and be glad in it. Are you starting to see a theme in scripture for us? I want to share a story with you this morning. It's from the author, Robert Fulgham. You ever heard of him? He's actually a Waco guy. I don't know if we have any Waco people in here. Nope. All right. There you go. Well, he's from Waco. You might actually know him because he wrote All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Now, how many of you know Robert Fulgham? Can I see your hands? This guy, I think he has eight nonfiction books. I think they've sold over 17, like million, 17 million copies, something like that. This is by far his, his most famous. It's All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. But I wanted to read something that he wrote some years ago. Uh, because it was about a wedding that he officiated at, and it's kind of a parallel that illustrates this point that I'm trying to make this morning, that joy in this world, please write this down, is almost always in spite of something. Joy in this world is almost always in spite of something. And the story is a good one. Let me share it with you. He said, usually a polite, reasonable, intelligent, and sane being, the mother, which by the way, is his nice way of not naming her, the mother was mentally unhinged by the announcement of her daughter's betrothal. So she's getting married. He said this, I don't mean she was unhappy as is often the case. To the contrary, she was overcome with joy and just about succeeded in overcoming everybody else with her joy before the dust settled. Nobody knew it, 
But this lady had been waiting with a script for a production that would have met with Steven Spielberg's approval. A royal wedding that was fit for, his princess, for her princess bride, daughter. The father of the bride began to pray for an elopement. <laughs> Please, Lord Jesus. His prayers were not to be answered. Mama had taken it over. She had seven months to work and no detail was left to chance or to human error. Everything that could be engraved was engraved. There were teas and showers and dinners. The bride and the groom I met with only three times. The mother of the bride called me weekly and, I, and was in my office as often as the cleaning lady was. An 18-piece brass and wind ensemble was engaged. The bride's desires for home furnishings were registered in stores from New York to Atlanta. Not only were the bridesmaids' outfits made to order, but the tuxedos for the groom and his men were bought. <laughs> That's the thing. Not rented, mind you. They were bought. And after all that wasn't, if that all wasn't enough, the engagement ring was returned to the jeweler for a larger stone that was quietly subsidized by the mother of the bride. Your rock ain't big enough, and so we're going to have to fix that today. Here's what he said. So when I say that the lady came unhinged, I mean she came unhinged. Now look to your right and look to your left. Did your mother do that to you? I'm kidding, don't do that. So the juggernaut of faith rolled down the road and the final hour came. Guests in formal attire packed in the church. In the choir loft, the orchestra gushed great music. And the mighty mother of the bride coasted down the aisle with the grandeur of an opera diva at a performance. Never did the mother of the bride take her seat with more satisfaction. She had done it. She glowed, she beamed, she smiled, she sighed. The music softened and nine, count them, nine, chiffon draped bridesmaids lockstep down the long aisle while the befrocked groom and his men marched into place. This is quite the show, isn't it? As I was reading this, I thought, I'd kind of like to watch this. I wouldn't want to officiate it, by the way, but I'd kind of like to watch this. And here's what he went on to say. And finally, oh, so finally came the wedding march. Thundered from the orchestra, here comes the bride, preceded by four enthusiastic mini princesses, chucking flower petals and two ring bearers, one for each ring. The congregation rose in anticipation. Ah, the bride. She had been dressed for hours, if not days, and there wasn't a drip of adrenaline that was left in her body at this point, let alone with her father in the reception, le, excuse me, left alone with her father in the reception hall of the church while the march of the maidens like went on and on. Well, she walked along the tables laden with gourmet goodies and absentmindedly sampled the little pink and yellow and green mints. Then she picked through the silver bowls of mixed nuts and was eating pecans. Then she started eating the cheese ball. Then she started eating the olives, a handful of glazed almonds, a little sausage with a frilly toothpick that was stuck in it, a couple of shrimps blanketed in bacon. By the way, I'm like starving right now. <laughs> and a cracker that was piled with liver pate. To wash this down, 
a glass of pink champagne because her father gave it to her to calm her nerves. What you noticed as the bride stood in the doorway was not her dress, but her face because it was white. For what was coming down the aisle was a living grenade with the pen pulled out. (laughs) The bride threw up as she walked by her mother. He goes, and I said threw up. I don't mean like a polite little ladylike erp into a handkerchief. She puked. There's no nice word for it. I mean, she hosed the front of the chancel. She hit two of the bridesmaids. She threw up on the groom, then the ring bearer. Then she threw up on me. Here's what he went on to say. I'm really sure of the details because we have it all on videotape. (laughs) Three cameras worth, three cameras worth. The mother of the bride had thought of everything. Having disgorged her hors d'oeuvres, champagne, and the last of her dignity, the bride went limp in her father's arms while the groom sat down on the floor where he had been standing too stunned to function at this time. And the mother of the bride, because you know what that girl's wondering about, the mother of the bride fainted, slumping over in like ragdoll disarray. He said, we had a fire drill then and then and there at the front of the church that only the Marx brothers could have topped. Groomsmen were rushing heroically. Many princess flower girls were squalling, bridesmaids sobbing, and people with weak stomachs were headed for the exits. All the while unaware, probably my favorite part of the story, the orchestra keeps playing on. (laughs) The bride had not only come down, she was gone into some other state of consciousness. Only two people were seen smiling. One was the mother of the groom, (laughs) and the other was the father of the bride. Well, what did we do? We went back to real life. Guests were invited to adjourn to the reception hall, though they didn't eat or drink as much as they might have under different circumstances. The bride was consoled. She was cleaned up, fitted out with a bridesmaid's dress, and hugged and kissed a lot by a revived groom. She'll always love him for that. When he said, for better or for worse, he meant it. The cast was reassembled where we left and a single flute player played in the quiet air. The words were spoken and the deed was done. Everybody cried as people are supposed to at weddings, mostly because the groom held the bride in his arms through the whole ceremony. And no groom ever kissed a bride more tenderly than he. Here's what Robert Fulgham went on to say. He said, if one can hope for a wedding that'd be memorable, then this was a raging success. And he's not wrong. Nobody who was there will ever forget it. But that's not the end of the story. The best is yet to come. On the 10th anniversary of this disastrous affair, a party was held. Three TV sets were mustered. A feast was laid. Best friends were invited. Remember, there were three video cameras at the scene of the accident. So all three films were shown at once. The event 
was hilarious, especially with the running commentary and the stop action stuff that was a little bit gross that was going on the TVs so that everybody could relive it just one more time, a frame at a time. The part that got cheers and toasts was when the camera focused on the grin of the father of the bride as he contemplates his wife as she's being revived. <laughs> he said, the reason I say this is the best part is not, be, not because of the party, but because of who organized it. Of course, it was the infamous mother of the bride that did. The mother of the bride is still at it, but she's a lot looser these days. She not only forgave her husband and Everybody else, for their part in the debacle, she forgave herself. And nobody laughed harder at the film than she did. There's a word for what she has, Robert Fulgham said, and that word is grace. That's why the same grinning man has been married to her for 40 years and why her daughter loves her still. It is this absolute refusal to allow anything, and I mean anything, to stop the celebration. Now, why could they rejoice when everything went so horribly wrong? And the answer is this, is because in spite of all of the mess, the groom still got the bride. How is it possible, he goes on to ask, for human beings to become joy-filled people in a pain-filled world? And the answer is, there's a promise in the word for us today. And we see it in Revelation 19, seven. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb that is Christ. The marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's why. The Bible then goes on to say in Revelation 21, God himself will be with his people and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death and mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Isn't that what we celebrate this Christmas? Now we have to be clear, Christmas, which is the celebration of God with us, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, it's a rescue mission. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to put a broken world back together. We're reminded of what Linus read for us at the beginning from Luke chapter two. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people that today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is Christ the Lord. Something that I want you to kind of just hold in your heart this morning as I was thinking about it. You know, over Thanksgiving week as is a kind of a tradition, one of my girls got sick. Uh, she had strep throat. And take her to the doctor, and the doctor gives an antibiotic. Now, the good news about strep throat is after about 24 hours of an antibiotic, you're good, right? Uh, and, and I was thinking about it. You know, um, amoxicillin is, is efficient to remove strep throat from a sick child. But it's sufficient only for the child that takes it. It's good enough to fix it, but only if you take it. I, I want you to consider this this morning. The work of Jesus Christ, his coming to the earth, his dying on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, it is efficient to save everybody 
on this earth. But here's what scripture says. It is sufficient only for those who believe and accept him. This morning, I'm telling you, it's time to take him. It's time to accept him so that you can really and fully appreciate what it means to have joy. Not because of everything that's happening in the world. We read the wedding story, goodness sakes. In spite of it all, joy to be found in a Savior who loves you. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.